Welcome to Courageous Conversations with your host, Richard Dolan, a world-renowned speaker, mentor, and coach to many celebrity icons and global thought leaders. Listen as they share their stories and insights about what it takes to lead a courageous life, from overcoming adversity to living with purpose and meaning. Each guest brings a unique perspective that will leave you feeling empowered and motivated to make positive changes in your own life starting today. So what's up, everybody? Richard Dolan here sitting with, I mean, not just an amazing, not just a friendly, not just a heart-filled, fun kind of guy, but a hyper, uber creative dude, the one and only Murr. You know him as Murr. But uh, hey, big fella, how are you? I, 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 if you don't know Practical Jokers, I am the uh, ha- handsome one on the show. So there you go. This is true. When, 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 when you guys were really developing the script, they all said we need a real good lead, good looking. It was, and, you know, it's even though we're four, you know, on paper we seem like four uh, average looking guys, but they brought me as almost like the ringer on the show to, to, to add the, uh, the the sex appeal, which is really my role on Impractical. Well, you know, for, for anyone that's watching this and uh, to, to tell a little bit about my own history and how I came to learn of your your brand, your gift, and uh, your friendship, which we'll talk about, the Impractical Jokers was introduced to me by actually my son. And if you're a father or an uncle or an aunt or a mother, you, you probably have got a younger generation around you that know and are tracking just what's really funny and what's worth watching. And the Impractical Jokers are now entering, check this out, their 10th season. T- take us back, Mur, to to like where did you guys even come up with the idea of of going from friends in a neighborhood to film? Like, how did that happen? How did you guys transition it? Uh, I, I started way long ago. Uh, we we met. We were first day of high school. We met. And became best friends. and did comedy together. And then after we went to different colleges. I went to Georgetown. The other guys spread around, and we have degrees in different uh, practices and fields entirely. And uh, but we still wanted to do comedy after college, so we formed our comedy troupe called the Tenderloins. We performed live for many years in New York City for crowds as big as eighty and as small as two. Before we go up, like, how do you generate the the the, the connection, the presence, and and let your ego get past the fact that two of your other friends who didn't make the cut are actually in the audience for you? How were you even able to power through such a thing? I, it's wild. Like I remember the show distinctly. Now, keep in mind, in comparison, about two years ago, the guys and I sold out Madison Square Garden. We are, I think, one of only seven comedians to ever sell out the Garden. It just comedians don't play the Garden. You know, it's twenty-five thousand people, what have you. But eleven years ago, a year before Impractical Jokers, we uh, did a show, and two people bought tickets, and they spent five bucks a ticket. The theater cost us sixty-five dollars to rent, so we lost fifty-five dollars in the night. We split it four ways, the loss, which is terribly funny, but we still got up there and did it because you have to do it. You have to. You have to keep trying. And, uh, and that's what happens. So over, uh, we, we always said that we are an 11-year overnight success story. I think what led to the show was I always felt that there was something special about my best friends and our camaraderie and our friendship. I thought it was unique. I thought it was relatable to people. The, the, the biggest compliment, we get two huge compliments. One is... You remind me of my best friends growing up and the people I was close to with my whole life. You remind me of them. And the second biggest compliment we get is that we are the TV show and the guys that the entire family agrees on. We're the only show the whole family can watch. The kids, the parents, and the, grand- and the uh, grandparents. They all agree on it. We're the, uh, the dinner time show. 
which uh, for men of our age, Rich, you know, it's families don't have dinnertime shows anymore. Those days are long gone. So to be uh, the world's and America's in particular, but the world's dinnertime show is the biggest compliment we can ever get. I'm, I'm glad you said that, though, because, you know, as I've gotten to know you and as I know that my, my Braun family is going to get to know you and our extended global family will get to know you, is that you're, you're spot on. I mean, I grew up in an era where there were dinner time shows where the TV was positioned, where dad got the best, the best you in the house. Yeah, I had to look over his shoulder to get catch a, a glimpse of perhaps it was 60 Minutes or, or Love Boat or what have you. But the moral of the story is you're right. I mean, in an age where we are very, you know, uh, tablet, very mobile, very online type folk, um, as a culture, um, you truly, I, I've got to attest to this. You guys have created a reason for the family to come together where we all get to enjoy it together and laugh in our own way for a hundred percent. So thank you. I, I agree. I think what the show has done has, uh, the show has always stayed right in the sweet spot for comedy, uh, and family. It is, I think uh, the TV show is an island of positivity in an otherwise very cynical world. You know, it, it exists outside of time. It exists outside of uh, the craziness of the world we live in uh, today and every day. And it is, it is your release from the day. It, it's the show you come home to, to, to get a momentary uh, relief from the craziness of life. It's just pure joy. You know, I always thought it was just this island of positivity, the show, and it always has been for me. Uh, but the way the actual show came about was uh, we tried to get on TV for many years. We tried every avenue we could. We are not, uh, we didn't have any business connects back then. We didn't know anybody in business. That being said, I always had this kind of burning desire to create and sell TV shows and other properties. Uh, my, my, my skill is creating great hooks and ideas. And uh, I talked my way into a, a job. I had uh, pitched a number of ideas to production companies. Uh, I got a number of them bought uh, and optioned by different companies and pitched to networks. And uh, I talked my way into a job at a great uh, TV production company called North South Productions that makes impractical jokers to this day. And I remember the first, and I worked there for a decade. I worked there for 10 years. I rose up to becoming the SVP of development of the company. Uh, so it's just the owner and then me. And uh, I remember the, for the first two years, of working at, at this TV production company, my then boss would make me pitch 25 new TV show ideas every Friday. Think about that. 25 new TV show ideas every Friday. I had to come in ready to pitch them. Uh, anything from scripted to reality to movie project to whatever it may be. And her, her, her logic was sound, and I stand by it to this day. The idea is this. We all exist in the same world, right? We're all influenced by the same media, the same uh, news, things like that. So to get to a truly original novel idea, you have to burn through the first 999 ideas your brain comes up with because it's already been done. It's being done. It's been pitched. So the 1,000th idea is the first really good one you come up with. And I stand by that. She was dead on. So I had to pitch. I had to come up. I would be up all night on Thursday nights uh, just brainstorming, free associating, staring out the window, reading news, absorbing things, just thinking, imagining, creating. Uh, and th those, those are my first few years at, at the company. And it was a crash course in how to create and sell creative projects, whether it be TV, reality TV, scripted TV, my books that I write now. And, uh, and then along the way, as I rose up in my career at the company and became a, a fairly good uh, salesperson, uh, I got 
intel from networks that they were looking for, hidden camera shows. So the guys and I get together at my house, at my apartment at the time, and I said, guys, I think I can sell a hidden camera show. Uh, what is our version of a hidden camera show? The guys didn't want to do a hidden camera. We're comedians, we're, you know, we're sketch comedians back then, and improv, improv is our background. We were very good at creating things in the moment. So they're like, you know, we don't really do pranks, uh, which is Impractical Jokers is kind of like an upside down prank show if you don't know it well, where the joke is on us instead of on the public. So I said, well, what is our version of it? What is something that puts our main hook first? Our main, main hook is our friendship. It's, it's the fact that we are best friends, we know everything about each other, and we're improvisers. How do we package and format improv into a television show? Because networks never want to buy an improv show. Is they want to analyze and see scripts and jokes and that our, our gut reaction is what makes the show work. So how do we format and package an improv show to make a network buy it? So we came up with Swiss for Impractical Jokers, where it's a competition among the four of us competing to see who can last the longest and the loser of an episode gets embarrassed in some kind of very funny way that's real and organic to who he is as a human being. And we are all gentlemen, ultimately. That, that's the thing. Like, the reason I think the show works too is that my mother watches the show. I can't do anything in, bad on the show. If I, I, the day that I got a tattoo on my thigh from Joe Gatto, my mother called me at 10.31 p.m. that night saying, did you actually get a tattoo? And I, I had to take her out to dinner to apologize because my mom watches the show. I have to be a gentleman. I am a gentleman at all times. So uh, trade the floor for Impractical Jokers. Uh, I shot a sales tape on it, edited the thing together, wrote the pitch document for it, and went in and pitched it. And that was um, 11 years ago. And here we are, 11 years later, 300 episodes later. Uh, the tour went from two people to 25,000 a night uh, doing a worldwide arena tour. And it led to, um, gosh, me, me and my wife and Brace puppy. And now uh, writing thrillers and novels and scripts and uh, our first look deal with Warner Brothers. Uh, just sold the show the other day, a hidden camera comedy game show. Uh, we have a put series where we have 10 episodes of an upcoming scripted TV show starring us as yet to be created. It's just been a, a, a one heck of a run and it's um, uh, every day is a blessing. What, what a ride, man. What, what a ride. I, you know, before we get to you as a creative force, which is where I want to spend the majority of our time, you know, I, I'm dying to ask and only because I think that people who are watching this video and, and, and seeing how animated you are and just, which is just so hyper connected to your heart, you're, you're just such, you wear your heart in your sleep. Has there ever been anything that you've done or the, the near 11 seasons that when you had, when you lost and you had to do something or during the challenges, was there, was there one thing beyond that tattoo where for you personally, you were like, man, that haunted me for, for, for hours, for days or for weeks. It's right here. It's right here. And the wallet's right behind the laptop. So I, I had shows this weekend. You know, I, in addition to the Impractical Jokers tour, I tour live around the country. We're live. It's a comedy show. It's a lot of fun. And I just flew back. Uh, I got in a few hours ago. I took the red eyes. And uh, when I checked in for my flight last night at the airport, I had to show my driver's license to the TSA. There was an episode of Impractical Jokers where the guys, as a joke, decided to shave my eyebrows and made me go to the DMV to get a new license. It is a 10-year punishment. I can't get a new driver's license until 2024. So every time I go to the airport, this is what I show. I look like a baked potato going through a divorce. I, it, it, I look 
I look like I belong on a milk carton. It's crazy. Dude, that's horrible. I know. She has all my hair. She has my eyebrows. I, 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 I look great. I look like a, like Lex Luthor, for God's sakes. You do. You do. You do I, between Mr. Potato Head and, and Lex Luthor, you definitely are the composition of both. I mean, and, and I think that's another, that's the segue where I'm getting to know you in the short time that we have, but, but of course, getting to know you much longer through your franchise and Practical Jokers, you are of the bunch the one that based on research conversations and, and, and my own, um, uh, you know, uh, collectible intelligence, uh, gathering so much, um, you're the one people gravitate towards the most. It sounds like uh, comments that people would read off would be, uh, he sounds like he's having the best time genuinely of most, um, Mer's a guy where when he's really, truly embarrassed, you can feel it viscerally for him. Yeah. And, and and I think there's this beyond authenticity, there's this visceral connection people feel for you because they they get you guys are the real deal. And and that's what makes you a creative force well, worth reckoning with, because much of what comes out is is the real deal. Uh, do you agree with those comments and, and observations of yourself? Yeah, I, uh, uh, thank you for the, the kind words. I appreciate that. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think authenticity and genuineness is at the heart of everything we do. It is. It, it's the hook of Impractical Jokers. It's, it's the first time we finally, like, puppy came into the room. I'm sorry. Puppy. No, it's all good. Let me see. Can you pick him up? Papa. Papa. There's Nicholas Cage. Hey, Dick. Uh, she just ran out of the room. So when she comes back, you're going, I'll show. The camera shot. She's like, no pictures, please. Pictures, please. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think heart is at the center of everything we do because I think people will immediately know if you're BS. They can sense it. They know it's something doesn't click or, you know, we know what you feel in your gut. And we are the guys that I are, have always trusted our gut and our instinct. We, uh, I think what helped for us is that when we get on TV, we were, uh, we were formed men. I didn't get on TV when I was 19 years old or 20 years old. And I was still an idiot. You know, I got on TV when I was a little bit older. I had already failed a lot in life. You know, I'd gone through all the bad relationships already. And, uh, and it, it made us, Great guys to work with, normal, respectful, and fun, you know? And that I think that you can sense that in the show, that it comes from a real place. It's authenticity that matters. And that kind of heart and passion carries through on all the projects that we do. You know, when, when you sit down to write a book, you sit down to write a 400-page book, it has to come from the heart. There's no faking it. You have to pour your heart into it. Because I think the reader, just like a viewer of a TV show, can sense when you're BSing them. They know if it doesn't come, if you're inspired by your own ideas, they can tell it just comes across in, on every page. It comes across in every scene. You know, I, I think that's why the show, like people ask, like, uh, you know, how do you maintain? If you think about it this way, your average sitcom has a joke every uh, two, three minutes, right? Our show has a joke every second line. There's another joke, another joke, another joke, times uh, 300 episodes so far. We're, we are forming, we are putting out, I don't think there's any TV show out there that's putting out more comedy per episode over a decade than us in terms of per, per joke, per capita of a TV show, you know, and that, and it still, it it still works because it, it comes from inspiration and imagination comes from, uh, us still being emotionally invested in the work and, and, um, and we feel uh, an obligation 
to our fan base to deliver the absolute best, best product possible. And the same thing with my books. I, I feel uh, a creative obligation to never disappoint and to over-deliver at all times. Well, that's a great segue to the books, to, to you being the creative force, because um, the compliment I was going to pay was, I, I, or maybe even the adjustment is by observation, I think you actually are generating uh, a joke or a punchline even more than one every one or two minutes. It's, it's in your expressions. It's in the way in which you guys interact with each other. It's, it's your giggles. It's the trying to suppress the embarrassment. It's, it's the someone who feels the shame and you can see it in his face. You can see it in his face. You can see, I mean, but this conversation is about you, not just about Impractical Jokers. One of the reasons why we got together on this digital conversation is to really give people a sense of just the creative force you are. And, and I think to appreciate that, aside from obviously holding up a book, which you'll get back to, is, is where it's created from. Again, having met a lot of really creative people, I'm so blessed to be in the position I'm in to meet so many great creative people that are actors, musicians, producers, uh, incredible authors, um, just real incredible people. You are in that category where what you draw from is, is this incredible, limitless source of just being hyper creativity. So why don't we just talk about what's got you creating it? Is it is it, a, is it a goal of yours? Is it something you've always wanted to do? Or does it feel like it's just a natural expression of what just keeps kind of bubbling to the surface for you, Mer? Sure. It comes from a number of places. If you trace it all the way back, it comes from, ultimately, if you trace the, what drives, I think, imagination far enough back, it comes from a place of um, you get one shot at life. Ultimately, you have... 70, 80, maybe 90 years on the planet, do everything, accomplish everything. I, I've always operated from when I was a kid, and this is a testament to my, my parents and the way they raised me, to think that I can achieve whatever I set my mind to. I can do it, right? And um, like, why can't I make a living based uh, making millions of people laugh around the world with my best friends from high school? Why can't I be a best-selling, international best-selling author? Why can't I take those books and turn them into movies or TV shows. Why can't I sell this? Why can't I do that? And, and I've always operated from the point of view of why not do do it, do everything, don't stop. I have this. Um, I've always had this uh, unextinguishable flame uh, inside of just this constant desire to create ideas, to do more, more, more. It is. Uh, uh, I love creating uh, ideas, right, and bringing people like together with those ideas, either through laughter or terror, or what have you. It's all the same. It's all the same imagination, right? So that, that's, the, that's that burning that keeps things going, is this desire to achieve as much as possible before my time is up, right? And to affect as many people as possible before my time is up. That being said, what also keeps me going? What, where do these ideas come from? Uh, what is the ultimate goal? So the other reason I, I keep doing this is, if you can imagine... We didn't get on TV until we were 35 years old. Uh, most of my life was spent just trying everything possible to break through. The first book I wrote, Awaken, I wrote this in 2004 on a dare. I had a great idea for a short story. I told my friend, he goes, that's a book. You should write the book. I was like, you know, I have a degree in English from Georgetown. Let me write the book. I wrote it. I spent a year writing it. I, I didn't have the contacts in publishing. didn't have a fan base yet. It's a sci-fi thriller. It takes a very tight tale. It's almost like an escape from New York kind of tale. 
about the mayor and his wife trapped underneath New York City in a subway tunnel, a brand new, gorgeous subway tunnel they built and a pavilion underwater, uh, not knowing that there's these secret underground creatures that have risen up and take 100 New Yorkers captive and maybe have killed them. And the mayor has to rescue the, uh, everyone and try to save the day. It's his escape from New York tales. She packed page sharing kind of sci-fi thrill. I wrote it. I sent it into every publishing house in New York City, thinking that I could just get it published. I didn't have the business savvy yet. And it got returned to me unopened by every single one. They wouldn't even read it. It sat on my computer a year of my life, uh, a creative outpouring of emotion and heart for 14 years, or 15 years. And then 2018, uh, 2017, I sent it the same book in to HarperCollins, uh, now having uh, knowledge of how the industry works. They immediately bought the trilogy. There's number one, there's number two, there's number three, a wig and break of alliteration. And this first one that got rejected so many years ago by every publishing house hit number one uh, on the international bestsellers in Sunday Times. It hit all national bestseller lists as well. And uh, it was great. It led to the book trilogy, which led to so many more books. Then I had uh, last year, uh, a horror book came out, Don't Move, which is now a screenplay. Uh, it's really good. It's got the first, the first scene of the screenplay will blow your mind. It's about a church group from the Bronx that goes on their annual summer camping trip to the woods of West Virginia, but they wander into the wrong woods because these woods are in, is inhabited by this prehistoric arachnid uh, that hunts through the treetops and can sense vibration in the forest through the invisible series of webs that spread everywhere. There's no way out in the forest except for a class five rapids river, and they have no boat. So it's a great book, twist ending at the end. If you love horror, it is pure horror, highly producible. The Stowaway just came out as well. We did all of this into a screenplay as well. I love this. These are the best book we've written so far. The Stowaway is about a woman named Maria Fontana, who is a juror on the case of the century. This is a serial killer accused who is accused of killing a number of children in these horrifying ritualistic ways. On the jury, she can't bring herself to find him guilty. He goes free. Two years later, she's on a transatlantic cruise with her two kids and her fiancé, and halfway across the Atlantic, three days in any direction from land or help, kids start disappearing on the boat on this, in the same way they did on the case two years earlier. So Marie has to wonder, is the killer on board? Did she let a killer go free two years ago? Is it a copycat or something far more nefarious going on? And she's the only one on the boat that has any of the information and can possibly stop this guy before he kills again because she has that intimate knowledge of the case. It is a page-turning, riveting, broad category mystery thriller. Uh, it's the best one we've written so far. Can't wait for this one to be moved. And then uh, coming out uh, next year, I have three more books called, uh, this is my first, uh, my children's book series, Area 51 Interns. It's about a group of kids whose parents happen to work at Area 51 and it's Take Your Kids to Work Day. So these kids go and sure enough, the day they go to Area 51, this super secret top, top high-tech lab in the United States, the day they go to Area 51, all hell breaks loose. All the adults get kidnapped, and it's up to the kids, these four ki best friends, to save the day. Every subsequent book, they have to save the day from another crazy thing. Book one is about aliens. Book two is about prehistoric mythical creatures. Book three is about time travel. Uh, it's a three-book series from Penguin Random House. Uh, this is a uh, We're doing this as an act animated TV series now. Love to sell it to your network shortly. Uh, and the idea of this is that it would become the next Goosebumps like by Arnold Stein. It would be 
uh, Penny Random House would order 20, 30, 40 of them. And I would just keep doing three books a year uh, and cracking them out. And then we have a new book uh, I don't have a, to pick up yet called uh, uh, You Better Watch Out. It's a serial killer thriller set during Christmas time. Uh, it'll come out 2023. But the idea of all these creative outputs is to, uh, I have an opportunity now for the first time in my life. You asked me before, to back to your original question, what drives all this? What drives this output of creativity and imagination? Thrillers, comedies, jokers. What drives it is for the first time in my life in the past decade, I finally have the chance to do things, to get them done. You know, I have the ability now to do, set up a pitch meeting at a publishing house, pitch them my latest, greatest idea, a great hook, great characters. A lot of our books have female-centric driven uh, you know, characters and leads. I have the opportunity for the first time in my life to go in with a great hook and idea and a great cast and say to somebody, this is my idea. I would love to sell this to you as a book. I promise you the materials A++. They can read my writing samples. They know the materials there. The idea is solid and an excellent idea. You've never heard of that book before. A serial killer on a cruise ship has never been pitched in any media. I, can, I have the ability for the first time in my life to read an idea, sell that idea, then execute the idea and make it affect people. You know, that, that is, you know what a gift that is for a creative person to finally have the chance in his or her life to come up with an idea and make it real? It exists. It exists. This is, this is immortality. I mean, wait, 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 wait. I mean, I'm blown away because of just the mere spectrum in which you're able to create from, from horror to sci-fi, or it would seem right through to children's, to, to an anime, let alone the comedy. It's, it's incredible to see how wide your motif can be. That's one. But two, and to your point, uh, your ability, uh, your executability, your, your ability to realize the ideas that you've got where you go from ideation to momentum to creation. Uh, what's the ultimate end goal for you? Or, or do you see yourself as, as, as an author, as a creator? Do you see yourself as someone who's leading the adaptability um, sort of like world as, as in, hey, I'll produce, or do you see yourself having one day maybe your own production house where you get to own the entire ecosystem and then just distribute by way of TV or streaming or film the very stuff that you're able not to create, but also likely could curate or consolidate in your world? Sure. Uh, you, you give a business vision for yourself? Sure. So the guys and I from Jokers have a first look deal with Warner Brothers. With that, we created our production company called Bad Woods Entertainment. Under that umbrella, I can pitch and sell to uh, Warner Brothers first and all their uh, studios, networks, anything they run, which includes TBS, TNT, CNN, uh, True TV, uh, HBO Max, HBO, so on and so forth, and all their properties that they own. And we have access to the enormous Warner Brothers library for ideas that we have. So we, we're out pitching a show now with me hosting it. Uh, I, I'm a horror buff, a thriller buff. So it's a, uh, a series for HBO Max with me hosting it about the most iconic uh, horror movies that in the Warner Brothers umbrella. And, what, and I dive into each horror movie and I test out in the real world some of the most iconic scenes from the movie. So let's say the famous scene from The Shining, right? Where you walk down the hallway of the hotel, the Overlook, uh, Overlook and uh, there's the two twin girls at the end of the hallway. It's a terrifying scene, right? What would happen in real life if we re recreated that scene, but at a Red Roof Inn hotel? 
you know, on on US one. And what would happen? How would people react if they were faced with the real scene from The Shining in real life? You know, so it's an homage to the greatest IPs that Warner Brothers have, mixed with testing in camera style my sense of you know humor, how people would actually react by those scenarios. So under that umbrella of Bad Woods, we are out pitching and developing lots of projects, everything from reality to scripted to animated to children's series, and we're also developing the, my my IP that I create. Uh, into movies. So my vision for myself is Jokers, knock on wood, will go many, many, many more years. Uh, we're, we are greenlit, we're shooting, we're finishing season nine right now. We're already greenlit for season 10, which we'll shoot uh, later this year into next year. Uh, we have a put series as well, uh, 10 episodes of an as yet to be created scripted series starring the guys and I. And uh, as I mentioned, just sold a uh, in Cameron game show to TBS. Uh, and uh, getting very close to selling a number of others that we have pitches set up. And I would love to, I'm an idea guy. I love creating IP. I love creating ideas. I don't see us ever really becoming a true production entity. I don't want to render production services. I like being the top line, creating IP and assembling the right team to make that IP happen. There are people that are smarter and better looking and have more hair than I do that can certainly uh, run the production services entity. You know, I, I could see in my dream scenario, I could see developing uh, a creative company or Bedwoods could be this that becomes something like a Blumhouse Productions. You know, Blumhouse, of course, can produce as well. But let's say uh, Bedwoods or, or me in particular creates a company that just cranks out idea after idea of spanning. Television, scripted reality, movies, uh, animated, uh, novels, whatever the streaming, uh, games, whatever the medium may be. I can see partnering with uh, a company like Braun or like someone else that recognizes that we are a, a creative powerhouse that uh, creates novel, interesting uh broad ideas, ideas that appeal to millions and millions of people. That's what we've done with Jokers. We've, we have, our fan base is so, so broad and, and spans the spectrum from kids that are 10 years old to grandparents and everything in between. And we are uh, slightly female skewing to our fan base, like 55, 45, but all across the board, it, it, is, it, it transcends race, gender, age, everything. And that's the kind of material. Like I love creating that kind, of, those kind of ideas. These broad, big ideas that uh, are will affect millions of people worldwide. So that's my vision. I, I want to create uh, a company. Uh, at, well, we have our company, but I want to create uh, a future for myself where I am creating IP, creating big ideas, and having the right partners involved with me that can make those ideas happen. The Stowaway is bound to be a movie. It has to be. It is such a novel idea. You've never heard it before. It's claustrophobic. It's anxiety-ridden. People know what it's like to look outside the edge of a cruise ship at night, and there's no moon, and it's pitch black, and no, no matter how many people are on the board that ship or how big the boat is, it is terrifying. You realize how insignificant you are and how tiny you are in the vast ocean. Gosh, that's a great state for a thriller, isn't it? It is. You know, so, so this, these, that's what I would love to create. I see the future going 
uh, we would do many more series together with Bad Woods and Warner Brothers, but we can also pitch outside of Warner Brothers after they pass on the idea or not. So we have this access. We have the, the na name recognition, the face recognition. We have the brand recognition. And I've developed so much recognition in the publishing industry now. We've worked with every publishing house. The only one I haven't worked with yet is Simon & Schuster. I've worked with every other one. HarperCollins, Penguin Random House, Blackstone, St. Martin's Press, uh, McMillan. Uh, there's only one left, so I'm, I'm getting there. I'll hit them all. So, uh, so, so in the time that we got left, because, I mean, you, you to me are like an incredible energy source, like the, the kind of thing that Iron Man plugs into to recharge his battery. <laughs> and, and, um, and that's a compliment, but, but what do you do to turn off? Are, are you able to ever, do you turn off? Are you able to shut down your, your ever flowing source to being so damn hyper creative? I uh, I, yeah, I, I, unwind. I, I, uh, I have sort of, I work out every day, which helps me unwind and go dark in my mind for a minute. I swim, uh, we have the pool closed now, but I was just swimming on vacation last week. I swim, you know, 100, 150 laps a day to get my mind. And, that, and I just let my mind go. And that, you know, settles me. I garden a lot. My wife and I grow everything. We have the best green thumb you could ever. We grow every, you would not believe me, Rich, if I told you what I grow on my, on my yard. I've never owned anything in my life, right? I never owned the car. I never owned the house until two years ago when I, I, I finally got a car for the first time. And now that I have a house, it's beautiful. I, I, I have, a, I have, the most amazing garden you can imagine. That sells me too. And then the other thing we do is write you off camera. I, I, I love puzzles and mysteries and solving things. So we're doing one this Friday. I do murder mysteries all the time. I get sent them an email. It arrives. And my wife and I will spend a night, date night, we'll make dinner, we'll spend a date night, diving into a different murder mystery. We do it once a week. And it, it takes me to another place, another, you know, uh, a moment to forget about everything, a disconnect and unwind and solve a puzzle at the same time. It's still engaging the mind, but in a totally different way than I'm used to uh, working on the, the minutia of a TV show every single day, you know? So, third thing, so. By, by the way, I'm blown away that you've got a garden. I have to come there and get some pointers to them. And I envy that. I think a garden's a wonderful way to wind down, unplug, yeah. um, and really go dark, as you would say, to get connected in something else that's just very, very different. Um, but only because you cited your wife and I didn't want to make this about her, but, but she is quite charming. I mean, she's an incredible compliment to you in the limited interactions I've had with her. Um, did you ever envision you two doing something together in, in the world of film entertainment or TV? Gosh, you know, that's an interesting idea. And I have thought about it. She's been on Impractical Joker. She's been on our, the guys that I have another TV show called Misery Index. She's been on that. And she comes across very, very charming on TV. Uh, we developed a tv show uh and uh as happens you know ideas are a dime a dozen it, it very much in, uh, it's not just a, a quality game it's a quantity game when it comes to creating tv shows you have to just be an endless source of ideas uh knowing that 99 percent have been done as i mentioned are being done what have you but that being said last year i had an idea my wife and i to unwind will go on zillow and we just i i love peering into people's lives i love it i in my dream we'll, we'll, this is another way we unwind like once a week we'll take the dog for a walk we'll get in the car with the dog we'll drive to a different neighborhood we see an interesting block we'll pull over and walk the dog for two miles in that neighborhood just looking at people's lives 
that house? What were they? You know, I just find it fascinating. In my dream, I would get to knock on their door and go in and see what their life is like. You know, like how how does everyone live? What what are their choices they make? What do they love? What do they you know? And uh, so we we developed the show last year uh, to for my wife and I to basically. Uh, it was a uh, a really novel idea. It was a great format. I can't remember the name of it now. And uh, the idea is we go into their homes uh, each episode, and you have to try to figure out who lives there. It's a great, fun game show. It'd be starring my wife and I. And uh, the exact same show has already been greenlit by Fox. So I sent it into our agent, and we put together a killer treatment. This happens all the time, right? It happens once a month in TV, uh, or once a week even, if you're pitching regularly. So I sent it to our agents, and my agent called me back. He goes, this is amazing. I love it. Problem is, it just got graded at Fox two weeks ago. And they haven't even announced the show yet. It hasn't even been firmly announced. And I was like, gosh darn. But I take that as a huge compliment. It means that we're thinking right. It means that we're thinking of things that people want to see. So yes, I can see that future. I think she's good TV. She's very charming. She's very authentic. Yep. And, uh, and I could see that. I think, I think, you know, just to kind of wind it down, because I'm sensitive to your time and, of course, having returned on a red eye, um, you know, what, what makes you such a unique curator of great content is that you are feverishly curious. Yeah. And in speaking about you and your wife, you both are quite complimentary because she's bought into your curiosity and she too is likely curious. And I've not gotten to know her as well as, as, far as I've gotten to know you. And I look forward to that. But But what's amazing is when you look at the world that you connect at, and I'm going to say this for those who are watching, is that your audience and, and your fan base is broad, quite deep. It does range from a 10-year-old right through and up to likely an 80-year-old. And, and you've got to ask yourself why. And one of the reasons I would assert is because I think that a lot of those folks, because of that broad range of people, would love to have you in their home. They, they'd love to have the opportunity of being friends with you. They'd love to be able to invite you and, and, and Mrs. Murray over to say, hey, what we, I'd love to have you guys over for a murder mystery night. I wish I could, but because of TV and the way streaming services and shows work, you could. And that is why millions would want that. In other words, what I, what I sense in you because of the person you are is you've been able to really restore what it's like to be in a great, solid, healthy relationship. Healthy, right? Healthy with friends, healthy with your lover, your partner, your wife. Even your dog. I mean, I mean, I've interviewed people who are there, like they, they, they see their pet and they're like, get out of here. Yeah, I'm on TV here talking to Richard. I mean, you're, 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 you embody kindness. You, you embody heart. You embody love, care, curiosity. And these are virtues that I think a lot of humanity has gotten so disconnected from given, you know, the, the long-winded pandemic that we've all endured. Uh, and, and, of course, you included. So, um, so thank you for doing all that. Thank, thank you for... Yeah, no, that, that's what I sense as, as a champion of great people who are up to great things. And um, that's what I detect about you. And, I, I, a very funny story. So I, I was uh, performing this weekend at a show in Burbank on Friday in San Jose, Saturday, Sunday. Took the right out back last night. And there's a portion of my live show where I allow the audience to ask me a few questions or anything they want to know. And uh, one girl in the crowd said, said her question was, she goes, uh, all my friends are obsessed with your Instagram lives or what have you when you and your wife are playing Scrabble together. So my wife and I, one of the ways we unwind, we play Scrabble and she crushes me. I have a degree in English from Georgetown. I've written five novels with four more coming out in the next two years. And she still beats me in three years. I have never once beaten my wife at Scrabble. 
ever. And so what I'll often do, I did it last week. I went live when we we're at, at a critical point in Scrabble and I turned my, my, my letters around to the camera and let them, the, the internet see the board and said, fans, help me out, please. And they helped me. They, they came up with the idea of Migas, which is a valid Scrabble word. It was 42 points. I was amazed that I got 42 points in one turn and my wife still beat me. No way. People are upset. I think you're right. I think people love seeing authenticity and real moments. Uh, and that's why the fan brought up question, asked the question last night. She asked about, she said, my friends are obsessed with your Scrabble lives because it's, gosh, it's just good TV, right? It's, you can say it's all horse The fact that I've never beaten her, it's just this good, pure way to spend a night, you know? You said, you said the right word. Now I'll say this kind of like in, 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 in wrapping. It's no different from how we met. And I've said this a number of times. We've been on calls before. We've talked about it. But because this is recorded and lots of people will watch this, you got to know that in approaching Murr, he was very kind. You were very chill, but you, you were also very just contained. I mean, it was, it was COVID times. And I mean, although we needed to test to be in the room in which we, we went to a premiere and, uh, and our firm was, of course, premiering it. But, but then we kept bumping into each other. It had a very small little area as we were waiting to go watch this movie. And, and at one point, it got awkward for me. Did it get awkward for you? No, we're never. You, no, it was always very. I, I, I can roll with anything, Brett. You know that. I can roll with anything. So, but, but, but we bumped into each other three times. And the final time was at, at a urinal. I was, <laughs> yeah. I was in the bathroom first. And he comes walking in. I said, dude, you got to stop following me because it's getting a little awkward. And, um, and I need you to know something, folks. I mean, I've never walked out of, your, out of a urinal happy because someone I, I left behind in there. It, it, <laughs> he, he took an awkward moment and just made it okay. And I think why I share that is because the, the world wants to feel okay. I, the world wants to feel like we're, we're going to be okay. And, and the way to do it is not to tell them it's going to be okay, not to, to raise some flag or, or vote in another leader or go from red to blue or blue to red. It, it, it's, it's not political. It's not socioeconomic. It's not, it's not even emotional. It's, it's just got to be real. And when you're dealing with a guy like you, James Murray, I mean, you're, you're the real deal. And, um, and that, that right there in a world where it's really awkward as we exit this, this pandemic and all of what came with it, um, there's, there's, there's just no denying it that you truly embody what it means to just live life fully. I, that's very kind. I, I appreciate the, the kind words for this. Yeah. So I'll, I'll be looking forward to seeing you again at urinal soon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but listen, I, I, I love you. I appreciate you on behalf of Brown and, and, and the rest of the team, uh, on behalf of all of us, we're grateful for the time you spent so far. Here's what we're taking away. Uh, number one, the impractical jokers brand and movement continues to grow strong, grow wide, go deep. And that's, that's fantastic. Congrats. Um, more, more concerning for me is, is, is you, the creator, you, the author, you, the EP, uh, the executive producer, where, where we want to see you really get empowered and equipped so that you can really continue to channel all that creativity and, and seeing it get out in the world, because that's what it's about paying it forward. And, and what I sense is that in between uh, you know, pool laps, working out, uh, green thumbing and, and murder mystery nights, uh, and even the occasional win, although fleeting, uh, in Scrabble, um, you, you, you really are the, the world's best friend and you're just looking for some support to make sure that they know it. Uh, did I capture that pretty correctly? I think it was an excellent summary. I'm going to make that the inside, uh, cover of the next book we write. <laughs> 
I am the world's best friend. <laughs> You're the world's best friend. And I think you need to know that. And, that, and that's why it's with pleasure I champion you. Uh, I'm evangelistical about you, you. And, um, and I'm grateful for you and the work that you're doing, but I'm looking forward to all that's coming from, from stowaway to, to what you got in store with that trilogy. Uh, but more importantly, what you've got set up with your bride and all those, the cool things that you guys will create together. So, um, so, so James, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. Thank you everybody at Braun. Love you guys. Hey, this is Richard Dolan, uh, signing off for a courageous conversation with our dear friend, James Murray, uh, looking forward to discussing uh, his future with you real soon. Thanks for tuning in to Courageous Conversations with Richard Dolan. We're on all the major podcast platforms, and we appreciate your support by reviewing us. You can follow our show at The Rich World on many social media channels. We hope that listeners like yourself enjoyed this episode, and remember to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or whatever other streaming services are available, because we cannot wait to bring you more valuable content that can make a difference in your life.